I bring greetings from Grace Baptist Church in uh, Melanda and uh, Brother Buddy Smith, and also from Coastline Baptist Church in Cairns. New work being started there, and uh, Coastline Baptist Church up there in Cairns has heard of us. Good or bad? Good. Oh. <laughs> so they don't know us really well, but uh, they've heard a little bit about us. <laughs> So, uh, uh, and it's, it's great, you know, you, and, and I, I was talking to the people there at Coastline and I said, um, they said, oh, how did you find us? And I said, I looked up on the internet, Baptist churches in Cairns. I said, don't be afraid of that thing, use it. Because if I go to a city or a town I don't know, looking for a church, that's my first stop. Uh, so, uh, if you're ever up that way, the folks at Coastline would be delighted to uh, meet, meet you and uh, make your acquaintance. So, that was our report of our little trip. Um, it was good to be back. It's good to be back. I was pleased that today was the day that we had the Lord's table. Because we're going to look today at the institution. And I mean the institution as in when it was instituted. The creation, the time of the first Lord's Table. When it happened the very first time. Where, what was surrounding it? What was happening there? Because it is... There's more happening here than you, guys, than you know. And its roots run very, very deep. So we'll be having a look at that now. Before we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask now that your spirit might be amongst us. That you would open our hearts and our minds to the truth of scripture. And that Lord, you would teach every one of us here from your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It is possible, distinctly possible today, that some of you may disagree with what I say. If you do, good. You know what you need to do if you don't agree with what I say? Grab hold of your Bible and dig into it and be like the Bereans and find out if these things be so. And if at the end you have dug through your Bible and you are absolutely convinced that I am wrong, I don't mind. You know why? Because you've reached your conclusion from what the Scriptures say. That's all we're asking. Reach your conclusion from what the Scriptures teach you. If that's your position and you believe that the Bible teaches you that, good. I'm happy with that because you're believing it because this is what the scriptures say. Anyhow, we're having, as you know, I've been going through what's normally referred to as Passion Week. Now, a few dates here to, to, to get you on, to get in, in line. Palm Sunday was, I believe, the 10th of Nisan. Okay, that roughly, Nissan roughly corresponds with April in, in our calendar.
calendar, okay? The 10th of Nisan. This was also the day when the children of Israel were told to select the lamb for Passover, to pick it, okay? So on that Sunday, that's what people would have been out doing. Remember, Sunday wasn't a holiday. So they would have been out in the markets or out wherever they were going or up in the temple area, picking their lamb. It was a working day. It was the day when the Lamb of God presented himself to the world. When the children sang Hosanna, And when he presented himself, the spotless lamb. Now Monday, the 11th of Nisan, that was a day where all the housewives were busy. You know what they were doing? They were clearing all the leaven out of their house. Because they were told in Exodus, seven days you will eat unleavened bread and you are to take all the leaven, all the yeast, out of your house. Now you might think, well, that's an easy enough job. You know, I just go to the, the, the cupboard and get, I've got two packets of yeast in there. And no, 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 no. You're to clean the house. Absolutely clean it out. And you were to search for it. So much so that Jewish people now make it a kid's game. Right? The mum will get usually 10 little bits of bread, leavened bread, and tie them up in a little napkin and hide them in the house after she's finished cleaning it. And tell the children, go and search for the leaven. And they will find them and they'll go looking. For, it's like a treasure hunt. Incidentally, they say tie up the bread in a little napkin, lest a crumb of it fall out and the house be defiled. That's how serious they are about it. They search the house. This, the Monday, the, the 11th of Nisan, was the day that our Lord cleansed the temple. The day he went in there and kicked out the money changers and those that were corrupt and those that sold doves and those who had turned his father's house into a den of thieves, he threw them out. Can you see a similarity happening here? Tuesday, the 12th of Nisan. This was the day in which the lamb that had been selected by the family was inspected. It was checked over from top to bottom and left to right and up to down and back to front to make sure there was no blemish or imperfection in it. Now, normally this was a bit of a ceremonial thing because if you'd been, you know, you'd bought your lamb from people who guaranteed there were no blemishes on them. But it was still had to be done. The, on Tuesday, the 12th of Nisan, the lamb must be inspected. And this was the day when our Lord sat in the temple and talked and disputed with the rulers. And where they tried to trip him up, where they tried to trick him. Remember all those tests they gave him? And he sailed through every one of them because he was the perfect spotless lamb of God. 
He passed the test. Did you know that, you know, just the thing about Passover, just, just to get you a grip of this, did you know it is the longest continually observed religious ceremony in the world? In the world. Roughly speaking, three and a half, four thousand years. The Jewish people have been observing this day, Passover. That's how important it, it, it is. Thousands and thousands. Through the persecution, through the times of the Spanish Inquisition, through the times that they were thrown out of countries and wandered throughout the world, they would continually observe this saying, next year in Jerusalem. You know, every culture... Every culture has the special day. You ever notice that? Every culture has the day that if you can only get home one day a year, you get home that day. If you're an American, it's Thanksgiving. In their culture, if you can only get home one day a year, you get home for Thanksgiving. Our Scottish brethren, it's a simple one. New Year's Eve. If you can only get home one day a year, you get home for that day. In Australia, it's, it's pretty much at Christmas, isn't it? If you can only get home for one day a year, you try and make it home for Christmas. If you're Jewish and you can only get home for one day a year, it's Passover. That's the day. That is the central day of the, the calendar. And so, they, they, it's just so, how important it is. We've now come to Wednesday. Wednesday the 13th of Nisan. Okay? This is the day of preparation. Okay? Now, understand how things operate. Thursday, the 15th, was Passover. But what, when does, does, when, when does Thursday, the 15th, start? Thursday, the 15th of Nisan, starts at dusk on Wednesday. Okay? Remember? And this goes all the way back to Genesis because when God created the heaven and the earth, it was the evening and the morning were the first day. And the Jews have kept that up ever since. They say the day starts at evening, the same as it did on the first day. The evening and the morning. So Passover started for us, in our way of thinking, dusk on Wednesday. That will become important. The next day, that's Friday, okay, the 15th. Did you know that that was a holiday? It was. Let's have a look over in Exodus. All right. In right, Exodus 
Sorry, Leviticus. Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23. 23.4. Okay. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which you shall proclaim in their seasons. In the 14th day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. Okay. 14th day. Nisan the 14th. But have a look. On the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord. It's a, 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 a holiday. It's a bit like, well, again, I guess you could use an example like Christmas Day. Christmas Day is a public holiday, is it not? Does it matter what day of the week it falls on? No. Monday, Sunday, Saturday, Tuesday, it doesn't matter. That day is a, a holiday. So it was with the 15th of Nisan. It didn't matter what day of the week it fell on. It was a holy day, a Sabbath. No servile work was to be done. It was a holy day. And that day was Friday, the 15th of Nisan. Remember, we're counting from the 10th. All the way through to Friday. This indeed will become important. So, we're looking now, and we'll turn over to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. It is Wednesday. It is Wednesday on Passion Week. Now, some will say, you know, what happened on Wednesday? Well, nothing happened on Wednesday. All that Jesus did was go to the Wednesday night prayer meeting at the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. Uh, but I, I, the way I read it, it is now Wednesday. And the day of preparation for the Passover is at hand. And the disciples, of course, are a little concerned. And it says in verse 1 of, of Luke 22... Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew nigh, drew near, which is called the Passover. And in verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where? <laughs> Where will they go that we prepare? Lord, um, yeah, okay, yeah, we've got to keep the Passover, right? Uh, we understand that, but um, where? And he said unto them, Behold, when you enter in, when you are entered into the city, what city? Jerusalem. Well, where were they? <coughs> Some have said they're in, they're back in Bethany, but no, they are. They have in fact spent the night along with a lot of other pilgrims, in the Mount of Olives. In amongst the olive groves, it was not an uncommon thing for pilgrims to spend the night. Remember, Nisan, April, weather in Jerusalem, beautiful, marvellous weather. Just, It's the nicest time of the year to be there. I know, I've been there. Right? And, and he said, when you go into the city, so they're going from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem, so behold, when you're entered into the city, you shall find you shall a man meet you 
bearing a pitcher of water. Now we know where he would have been coming from. He would have been coming from the Pool of Siloam. Because when you go from the Mount of Olives, you go across the, the bridge they had there, and the first lot of water you find there, it's the Pool of Siloam. Alright? Follow him into the house where he entereth in. They're going to pick this guy out of the thousands of people that are in Jerusalem. You have to understand, men did not carry water. It was such an unusual thing, this guy would have stood out like a sore thumb in all those thronging multitudes of Jerusalem. The very first thing a girl learnt to do with her mum, when she was old enough to walk, she would go with her mother down to the village well, to the pool, to the fountain, wherever, and she would have a little jar. Her mum would have a big one. Her mum would fill it up with clean, fresh water, put it on her head and walk back home. And the little girl would fill up her little one and she'd toddle along with it. This was the morning work of every woman in Jerusalem. Unless you were rich enough to have a slave to do it for you and it would only be done by a female slave or a servant. This was the, this was the, the way the morning started for every woman in Jerusalem going and getting water. Men just didn't do it. So they sort of went, oh, okay. And as they went into Jerusalem, there it was, a bloke carrying a pitcher of water, just as the Lord had said. So they followed him. And he went to the house where he went in. In verse 11, and said to the good man of the house, the master saith unto thee, where is the guest chamber? <laughs> okay, we're going to front the boss of the house and we're going to say, where's the master's guest chamber? And he's going to say, here it is, it's ready for him. How did this man know? Who told him? Was it a vision? Was it an angel? You know, we have absolutely no idea how this worked. No idea at all. We think maybe it was the house of John Mark, the guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark. We think it was. We're not certain, but there's a good chance it is. Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished, and there make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. Okay. A large upper room. Big enough for 13 people. No. Big enough for 120 people. Because it, this was the same upper room where all the disciples would meet at Pentecost. Same upper room. Because it's referred to as the upper room. So how big was it? Well, you know, I reckon we could fit 100, well, we moved out a few bits and pieces. We could fit 120 people in here. So, yeah, okay, get in your, in your mind something the size of this church. How was it built? Okay. 
Buildings in Jerusalem were mainly made of stone and occasionally mud brick. But the interesting thing about the way they built their houses, and the builder will appreciate this, the internal walls were not like these rubbishy internal walls we have here. The internal walls were stone or mud brick as well and went all the way up to the ceiling. That means every wall in a Jewish house was a load-bearing wall. It took some of the weight of the roof because the roof was hard-packed clay. So if you wanted to build an upper room, it was actually not that hard. You just projected the walls up a bit higher. The roof became the floor. And if you wanted to reduce the weight on the, of the ceiling and have an open upper room, well, that was e easy. You used these newfangled inventions that they brought over from Greece. They call them tiles. And put in a tiled roof instead of a packed mud brick roof. Packed mud roof. And that reduces the weight of your thing. So quite an easy thing to do. It would have been a big house. To have a house this size was a considerably sized house. When you see the size of the houses from that time in Jerusalem, big place. And they've extended the house up, put in an upper room. But the interesting thing is almost certainly you couldn't get there from inside the house. You couldn't do it. Get the stairs to the upper room were on the outside of the house. So you had to come out of the house and go up the stairs to the outside. Internal stairs were very, very rare. Stairs were on the outside. And this upper area would have originally been open area where they would have sat and done things as most people did on their roofs, their flat roofs. And he's at some stage decided to make it enclosed, put up some walls, put on a ceiling and a roof. You got up from the outside. So that's, that's the idea of what we're looking at. It's, it's the size of this church sitting on top of another of a house, probably covering the entire house. So they went, found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. Now in Mark, Mark 14, 13, if you, uh, sorry, 14, 17, if you want to look at it, it says, when it was evening, Wednesday evening, when it was evening, to the Jews this is the start of Passover. The very start of Passover. If you want to, to check that again, Mark chapter 14 and verse 17. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve. It's dusk on the 13th. To the Jews, it's the start of the 14th. And I put it to you that everything that happens from now on will happen on the 14th of Nisan, on Passover day. That our Lord will be arrested, tried, condemned and crucified this day. 
he will be buried before dusk this day. And he will be in the grave until Sunday morning. For he said very clearly, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. Thursday, he was buried before sundown. Had to be buried before sundown because remember, the Friday was an holy day. Had to be buried before sundown. Thursday, one day. Thursday night, one night. Friday day, two days. Friday night, two nights. Saturday daytime, three days. Saturday night, three nights. Three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. That's what he said. That is what happened. Other people, look, they may take a different view. They're entitled to. But this is the way I read Scripture says it. That we are now looking at the night to us, the night of the 13th of Nisan. To the Jew, it is the beginning of the 14th of Nisan, Passover day. Now, back again in Luke 22, verse 14. When the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He said, I, guys, I have really wanted, really wanted that that. With desire, I have desired. It's way too weak for what he's really... He's saying, I really, really have desired this moment. And you think, he's about to be betrayed and crucified. Why has he desired this moment? And the answer is, because it's ending it's finishing. All these last three years of work and toil and teaching and suffering, it's going to be over in the next 24 hours. He says, I've longed to get this thing over with, to get it finished. And tonight, we're kicking it off. And, he's, and I say unto you, I will not eat any more thereof till it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, John chapter 13 has a, an insert here. It's only recorded in John. So let's turn over to John. John 13. The timing of this is, is sometimes a little difficult, but I think I've, I've pretty well got into it, into what's happened here. There was a procedure that was followed through Passover. Okay? There was, a, uh, there was 
already by this time, Passover had developed its own liturgy, its own formula which was followed. And this incident of the washing of the disciples' feet occurs sort of halfway through the actual Passover meal. Because the Passover meal is divided into four sections. And there are actually washings done in the middle of it. In a very orthodox Jewish family, you will find that the after the second section, the guy in charge, the, the person in charge, will get up and wash his hands and then come back to the table. So there are washings done. The, the Passover meal is divided with four cups. Now, some, some Jewish families will use one cup and drink from it four times. Others will pr- produce four cups, okay, and share them around. They are four cups. Wine is poured into it and... Th- the, the first cup, then there's the second cup, the third cup, the fourth cup, okay? This washing occurs between the second and third cups, all right? Just so you've got the, the idea. We'll come to this soon enough. <laughs> we'll come to it soon enough, where this comes in. But the, when, when the second cup has been drunk, like I said, the person in charge would get up and wash his hands. But Jesus goes one step further. He gets up, he rises, rises from supper in verse 4, lays aside his garments, takes a towel, wraps it round himself, he pours water into a basin and begins to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel where he was girded. It's, it is the act of the lowest servant. This was the job given to the person who was the lowest man on the totem pole in the, in the servant's hierarchy. This was the worst job. And he took it upon himself to wash his disciples' feet. There's an important lesson to understand here. It is him who makes us clean. Understand, it is him who takes away our sin. The, the, the disciples had come in from the street. Now, the, the other interesting thing about Passover is, unlike every other meal, you eat it with your shoes on. Now, you go into a Jewish home in those days, you took off your sandals. As you do in a lot... You, you, you go into a person from the Middle East home now, today, most of them, a huge number, they always take the shoes off at the front door. Okay? Common thing. Understood thing. You don't bring the shoes inside. Except Passover. Passover, you are told to eat wearing your travelling clothes and with shoes on. Why? Because you're to remember 
the flight out of Egypt. When they had to eat in a, in a hurry, in a haste, and there was no time for the bread to rise, so they baked it, it was unleavened, and they quickly roasted the lamb, and they ate in haste, ready to leave for freedom. So the disciples would have been lying, reclining, you know, they, they ate, not sitting at a table, but lying down on a cushion on their elbow, with the food in front of them, with their feet stuck out behind them, with their sandals on. It's another thing that we don't, we don't think about. So Jesus came round, the Lord of glory came round and took their sandals off and washed their feet with all the muck and dirt and rubbish from the street, washed each of their feet. Now after he, verse 12, after he had washed their feet and taken his garments again and sat down, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? He said, Do you understand what I've done? Verse 13, You call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. I am the Master and I am the Lord. And if I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. He says, Listen. If your Lord and Master is willing to do the act of a lo the lowest servant, don't you think it's necessary for you to serve one another? Not to think of yourselves as more important than you ought. And I think today, you know, when you look at a church hierarchy, and there's the most reverent somebody and the partially reverent somebody and the not particularly reverent somebody. And I think, how far have they gone from the Lord and Master who took the position of a servant to do the lowest of the jobs? Then he says, Something very moving and very important. Look over in Matthew 26, where this. Matthew 26. He's come back and he's sitting down, and they've picked up the Passover meal again. Now they're coming to the next time, the next part of it. Starting verse 21 of Matthew 26. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you that one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful and began every one of them to say, Lord, is it I? You know, there would come a time when these men would boast of how, how they would stay with Jesus to the end. But this is... To me, there's a time when they will boast and say, oh, I'll die with you. But for me, if I hear that our, that if our Lord will be betrayed and shamed by one of his own people, I'm with these guys here. And I say, 
Lord, will it be me? Will it be me who will make you ashamed? Will it be me who will not do what I should? Is it I? Instead of, of looking at ourselves and saying, Oh, what a Christian am I? How good am I? We should be saying, Oh, oh Lord, is it I that are going to betray you and hurt you? Is it I? We'll come to the answer of that question now. Back over in John. Back to John. John 13. John 13. Now remember they're reclining on their sides. Almost like spokes from a wheel. Okay? Around the table. Because the table isn't a table. The table is a a cloth sitting on the floor. So they're reclining together. John 13. John 13. Uh, and verse 21. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in his spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And the disciples looked one upon another, doubting of, of whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom. Now you've got to understand, what it means is this person was next to Jesus. On, now Jesus was on his right, so he would be leaning on his left, because he would use his right hand to reach to the food. This guy was here immediately next to him. And he could, by leaning backwards, half doing a roll back, he would come very close to Jesus' head. But it's not him that we look at, it's the next guy. Because the next guy in that position to him is Peter. So Peter looks at John and sort of goes, John rolls forward, Peter rolls back, and he said, Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask of whom he spake. Okay. So Peter says to John, ask him who it is. Come on, ask him who it is. In a whisper. And none of the other disciples would hear this because your heads are very close together when you do this. So Peter says to John, ask him who it is. This is only recorded in John's Gospel. Because it was John that heard this. So John now rolls the other direction and says to Jesus, Lord, who is it? And Jesus replies, It is the one I give the sop. None of the others heard this. Right? People think that this was announced to everybody. No, it wasn't. This was a private conversation between Peter and John and John and the Lord. And he reaches in and he takes a little piece of bread and he dips it, probably in something like gravy or something like that, and hands it across to Judas. This is the act of 
of a master to an honoured guest. It is a sign of favour. In fact, if you the, the, the big Arab feasts, you know, where they had the great big pile of rice and the whole roast sheep, the, the sheep in charge will hand out portions. And sometimes he's giving you a message. If he perhaps thinks you're too talkative, he may hand you the tongue. If he thinks you're not observant enough, he might hand you the eye. Okay? There are messages given with these, these handing out from the, the man in charge of the feast. But to hand the sop like this was a sign of great favour. It was done to an honoured guest. He hands it to Judas. He's saying, Judas, this is your last chance. This is, after all these three years, will you not come back? Will you not repent? Will you not take this opportunity to say, no, I'll turn away from what I'm doing? One last chance, Judas. And Judas takes the sob. And then leaves. He gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake unto him. See, because it was only between Simon and John. The others didn't understand what was going on. Some of them thought because Judas had the bag that he had said unto him, buy those things we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Incidentally, buy something we needed for the feast? Weren't they at the feast? No, they weren't. They were at the Passover meal. The feast was Friday, the next day. So he, they, some of them thought, oh, uh, Judas needs to nip out and get some stuff. For, uh, for what's happening on Friday or to make an offering to the poor or to do something like that. And having received the sop immediately, went immediately out and it was night. Now, we've gone through to the end of the second cup. We are now coming to the third cup of Passover. Why are there four cups in Passover? Passover, the, the liturgy, contains a bunch of questions and answers. And they are asked by the youngest person, who in this case would have been probably John, and usually answered by the oldest person or the most senior person. Jesus would have answered these questions as the most senior person. Uh, the, you know, it's tradition that we think of Simon Peter as an older man. Um, possibly he was. But Jesus was the rabbi there. He was the teacher. He was the master. He would have answered these questions. And the first question that John would have asked is, why is this night different to every other night? It's the first question of Passover. Why is this night different to every other night? And the answer is, because tonight... 
we celebrate our going forth from slavery into freedom. That's the answer that's given. And then the other questions come through. One of the things about it is there's four cups. Why are there four cups at Passover? Okay, have a look over at Exodus 6.6. 6. Because in Exodus 6.6, 6, there are four cups, so the rabbis tell us, and who am I to argue? Because there are four I wills in Exodus 6.6. 6. Exodus 6.6. 6. Therefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will rid you of their bondage. And I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people. The four I wills from Exodus 6, 6 and 6, 7 correspond to the four cups of Passover. Okay, you follow those? The four I wills, four cups, the stages of redemption from, is, from Egypt. Number one, I will take you out. Got news for you. God's done that for us. He has taken us out. He has taken us out of the world into himself. The second... I will save you. <coughs> he has done that. The third cup he comes to, I will redeem you. It's interesting that the fourth cup, I will take you to me to be a people. Our Lord didn't drink it because it hasn't happened yet. We'll come more of that later on, but anyhow. It is now time for the third cup in Passover. This is why we, we have a bit of trouble sometimes saying, it says during the supper and after the supper and he took a cup and the first cup would have been, the done at the start of the meal, there would have been a blessing set over it. Almost certainly the classic uh, Jewish blessing for a meal. You know, uh, I, I thank the... Oh, Father, Lord of the universe, who provides food in your due season, that would have been the blessing said over it. It's the third cup, the cup of redemption. And he says, that's Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Um, yeah, Matthew 26. It's, it's in the Gospels, bunches. You can read it in various ways and various approaches to it. We'll have a look at Matthew 26, 30. And as they were eating, okay, as they were eating, right, it's in the middle of the Passover. 26, 26, okay, Matthew 26, 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples. Now, the bread. 
We could do the cup first or we could do the bread first. It, it, we'll do it this way. The bread. The bread. This piece. After the second cup, a piece of bread is broken and it's wrapped. Half of it is wrapped in a napkin and it's put to one side. And then at this stage of the meal, a child goes and gets that piece of bread and brings it back and it is broken up and distributed to the people at the Passover. Would you get this picture? A piece of bread. Now, we're not talking bread, bread like loaf of bread. We're talking matzov. It's flat bread. It's baked crisp. And it is broken in half. And half of it is wrapped and put aside. Then it's brought back. And trust me, <laughs> you can ask the Jewish people, why do you do that? And they say, we don't know. It's just part of the tradition. It is put to one side, then it is brought back by a child, then it is broken up and handed around. And this is at the stage where then it's come back to us. You ever seen Matzov? Ever seen a picture of it? It's flat. You know what's covered with? It's covered with little holes. And the holes are in rows, they're not random. Holes are eaten rows. And he says, This is my body. And we are told in Isaiah 53 that he was bruised for our iniquities, and with his stripes we are healed. And we're told in Zechariah that they shall look upon. Him whom they have pierced. And this matzov is broken and it's buried symbolically in a napkin and then it's brought back by who? By a child. For we're told, if you will not receive him like a child, you will in no way enter in. And he breaks it and he says, this is my body, bruised and broken for you. So when you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, then he took the third cup, the cup of redemption. And he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. So when you do this, when you partake of this symbol, do it in remembrance of me. Because if you don't do it like a child, you don't get it. You don't understand it. You don't understand what's happening here he is instituting something and he is taking the elements straight out of Passover and he's saying to his disciples each time you do this remember me it's interesting when you look in the book of Acts and it talks about the disciples breaking bread Sometimes they talk, it talks about the disciples would break bread. And it's just, right, break bread. Other times, it's, there's a, a, a little extra word being put in there. And it's actually the breaking of the bread. 
indicating that they were remembering him. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Now there's an interesting little thing that we might as well put in here. Everybody remember communion this morning? You, it wasn't that long ago, you can remember it, okay? You remember that someone came and served you? Remember that? No one served themselves. Notice that? Now that also comes from Passover. Because a slave had to pour his own wine, if he got any. But a free man has someone pour it for him. We serve each other to remind us that we are a free people. We've been taken out of the world and sin. We've been redeemed, not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. We have not yet been gathered together. That last cup hasn't been drunken yet for us. We will be gathered one day. And our Lord said, I won't drink anymore. I'm not going to drink any more of, of the fruit of this vine till I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So he left the fourth cup. Fourth cup was left undrunk at that Passover meal. <coughs> One day, there's going to be a marriage in heaven. And there's going to be a marriage supper. Do you know what's on the menu? I'm not sure what's on the menu, but I can tell you what's on the drinks list. The fourth cup. He'll drink it new with us in the kingdom. That's coming. There was also one other little thing that was happening here. There's an extra cup and an empty seat at Passover. Did you know that? There's an empty cup and an extra seat at Passover. An empty seat. No one sits there. Who's it for? You have a look over in the book of Malachi. The last book. The last chapter. The last two verses of the Old Testament. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. It's Elijah's seat. An Orthodox Jewish family will leave a seat for Elijah. And at this stage of the Passover, when the third cup has been drunk, they will go out and they will send a kid to go and check at the front door. Just in case Elijah's waiting there. Could it possibly be that they would have Passover and Elijah is waiting at their front door to eat Passover with them and they don't go and check? No. They go and check just in case he's come. For 3,000 years they've been checking 
Has he come? There's an empty seat, an empty cup for Elijah. Maybe we should keep an empty seat for the time when we will drink this anew with our Lord in the kingdom. I have only touched on the connections between Passover and Communion. I have only skimmed the surface of it. There is much, much more and I will leave that for you to dig into and, and have a look at yourselves. Study it. Look at it. Understand it. Because we have, if you like, hitched ourselves to the coattails of the greatest religious tradition in history. That of the Passover. For as they remembered their going forth out of Egypt one day a year, we remember our going forth out of the slavery of sin every fortnight. As often as we do it, we remember Him. We remember that this was the New Testament in His blood. With no leaven in the bread. With no hint of sin. Oh, we could speak more on that. We could speak more on the, the, the message of the absence of leaven. We could speak more on the imagery of the lamb. We could speak more of the fact... Well, I'll put one... I can't leave this one out. The lamb was to be roast. Remember? It was told, don't, don't boil it. Don't stew it. The lamb is to be roast. Whole. Without a broken bone. Okay, you ever roasted a lamb? Whole? How do you do it? On a spit. Only way to do it. So they would thrust the spit through the lamb. If you've ever been to a Greek Easter, you know what we're talking about. But hang on. You know the problem with that? The lamb will spin on the spit. Won't turn properly. So they would take a second piece and they would thrust it through so the lamb wouldn't turn over. And the lamb would rotate on the spit. One through the lamb, one acrossways, forming a cross. The lamb was roast whole upon a cross. When they put the blood on the the doorposts and the lintel at the very first Passover in Egypt, they would get a bunch of hyssop and they would dip it in the blood and they would strike the left and the right doorposts and they would strike the lintel and the doorway, forming a cross in blood across their doorways. Much more can be spoken of the connection between the Passover lamb and the lamb of God. And I'll leave that for you to keep looking at and more to be understood. But understand this. There is a picture here of the sinless lamb of God 
who gave himself for us. He said right at the start to the disciples, guys, he said, I've desired this. I want this to be over. I want it to be finished. Within 24 hours, the most important thing in human history would be done. The sins of the world would be upon him. The father would look away. He would commend his soul and give it up voluntarily for us. If you've never availed yourself of this sacrifice, if you've never come to the place where you realise that your sins have hidden God's face from you, if you've never come to the place where you realise how much you owe God and how little you've done, if you've never come to the place where you realise that you're in desperate need of a saviour, today needs to be that day. The Passover that was sacrificed for us is still available. It's still there. And the blood which was shed and which we take as a we take a memorial of is still available for your sins. But one day, that fourth cup will be drunk. One day, it won't be there anymore. One day, the opportunity will be gone. This day, if you have not accepted Christ as your Saviour, if you have not availed yourself of the Passover lamb slain from the foundation of the world, this day is the day to do it. If you don't know how, if you're not sure, if you're puzzled, if you want more information, come and talk to me after the service. Come and talk to our pastor after the service. We will explain to you how your sins can be forgiven this day by the power of the Passover lamb. Thank you.